Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays at docwashburnshow.com. Minutes after each live stream is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is the 88th episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. Coming up in just a minute, the Sarah Huckabee Sanders campaign reacts to me getting into the race for governor. But first, yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't allow me to say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. And yes, we must keep the January 6th political prisoners in our prayers. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you would like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, click on the button that says become a patron. For that matter, if you'd like to support my candidacy for the Republican nomination for governor of Arkansas, go to our website, electdocwashburn.com. All right, so one of the things that got my phone ringing, one of the things that I believe incentivized people to try to encourage me to run for the Republican nomination for governor of Arkansas was when Sarah Huckabee Sanders went on Facebook, endorsed John Bozeman for re-election for Senate, endorsed French Hill for re-election for U.S. House, and she received hundreds of responses on those Facebook posts, 99% negative on the French Hill endorsement. And she had no response. It's like every time she would go on Facebook with something, she would get a lot of negative reactions from people. A lot of people asking questions about issues, no response. Well, now, last night, last night, people with her team have finally been authorized to respond very narrowly now, not to most of the questions, but just a little bit. So Sarah goes on Facebook yesterday and says, I sat down with more than a dozen education leaders from across Arkansas last week to kick off my policy roundtable series focused on empowering Arkansas. Now, I wonder how many of those educational leaders that she sat down with are liberals. I mean, when you think about it, education leaders from across Arkansas, how many of those are liberals? Anyway, she says, these conversations around some of the most pressing education issues facing our state, improving childhood literacy, 
empowering parents, closing the achievement gap, and preparing students for the workforce will continue to help us lay the foundation to make our state the best place to live, work, and raise a family. Improving childhood literacy, that's going to be a tough thing to do with five-year-olds wearing masks and teachers wearing masks. Empowering parents, what does she mean by that? Closing the achievement gap, what does that mean? Preparing students for the workforce, really? How? Anyway, those are my questions. The questions on her Facebook page, right off the bat, first question was from a gentleman who said, what about CRT and masks? And someone from Team Sarah responded with a screenshot from a tweet Sarah had last July saying, our public schools should never indoctrinate our kids with the lie that America is a racist and evil country. Critical race theory pushes a radical left agenda that will further tear us apart, not bring us together. Okay, that's all well and good. But how many Arkansans are on Twitter? I mean, did anybody hear her actually say this in the public media in Arkansas last year? Because I certainly didn't. Another response from Team Sarah. And they link to an article from thehill.com. Again, from July of last year. Sarah Huckabee Sanders vows not to impose mask vaccine mandates if elected governor of Arkansas. Okay, did anybody hear that in Arkansas in July of last year? Did she say one word to criticize Governor Asa Hutchinson for his mask mandate? Pardon me, mask mandate. Did anybody have any idea that she was against mask mandates, vaccine mandates, I mean, the Hill.com is in Washington. And Twitter, most Arkansans aren't on. That's, that's, that's remarkable. Then somebody responded, elect Doc Washburn as governor of the great state of Arkansas. Sarah Huckabee Sanders continues to endorse rhinos, big businesses, and won't take questions from we the people. Another person said there's never been a single problem solved by a roundtable discussion. Another person says, recall your support for French Hill, and I'll vote for you. No response, no response, no response. Another person says, but it does not override you sitting with Aza and Bozeman, both deep deep state. No response. Somebody else linked to my video announcing I'm running for governor. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Somebody else says, protect and continue funding for the Succeed Scholarship. So many special needs families rely heavily on it. No response to that. Be careful who you endorse. Rhinos like Hill and Womack are not what we want. 
They need to be out of their jobs. No, pardon me, no response to that. Another person says, empower parents. Why don't you start by telling schools to stop blocking parents from coming into the buildings? No response to that. Someone else said, please get a voucher program that's directed by the parents going here in Arkansas. That would clear a lot of the air and put their power back in the hands of the responsible party. No response to that. Somebody else says, school choice, where the money follows the student. No response to that. Somebody else says, speak out regarding the Durham recent reports. All Republicans in the five are going to office need to be outraged and vocal on this now. No response to that. Somebody else says, I support Sarah already, but what is she going to do to help try and lower gas prices again here in Arkansas? No response to that. Many questions. Very few responses. And again, you know, I mean, if she's so against mask mandates and vaccine mandates, why whenever she's in public and people try to ask her questions, does she not respond? I mean, especially since she put something on Twitter back in July and she was in the Hill.com, a Washington liberal outlet back in July, why was she afraid to answer these basic questions from Arkansans who actually meet her face-to-face? I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Now, electdocwashburn.com should be going live today, and we have a number of things on there that I plan to do when elected governor. And I'll get to these in a moment. But I'm so thankful and... I'm so humbled to have received a very important endorsement. Reopen Arkansas endorses Doc Washburn for governor of Arkansas. And here's what they say. This just came out this morning. Throughout 2020 and 2021, our freedoms were under attack. The citizens of Arkansas were force-masked, Many were force-jabbed, and life-saving medications were denied. Through his daily radio show, Doc Washburn stood with the people of Arkansas, constantly advocating for our freedom. His opponent was fundraising out of state. When we assembled on the state capitol steps to protest vaccine mandates and other governmental overreach, Doc Washburn stood with us. His opponent was too busy campaigning. When his company gave him an ultimatum, Doc Washburn stood by his principles and deeply held beliefs. He gave up his livelihood in order to maintain his freedom. His opponent was still fundraising and campaigning while endorsing rhinos for re-election. Since 2014, Doc Washburn has been advocating for conservative principles, arguing for lower taxes, fighting against abortion, and speaking with everyday Arkansans about the issues that matter to them. His opponent seems to have been everywhere but Arkansas. 
Yeah, I saw. I remember. I remember seeing a picture of her with Mike Pence fundraising up in Indiana. Her good buddy Mike Pence, who stabbed us all in the back on January sixth, twenty twenty one. Anyway, the endorsement continues, and I'm so humbled by this. I'm so honored. It says Doc Washburn decided the people need a choice in the governor's race, and we strongly agree. Not only is Doc a choice, but he is exactly the person we need to reform state government and return power to the hardworking taxpayers of Arkansas. Our Kansans would be most fortunate to elect Doc Washburn as their next governor. Reopen Arkansas exuberantly endorses Doc Washburn for governor of Arkansas. Washburn policy positions important to reopen Arkansas, and they link to me answering their questionnaire. And then a little something about reopen Arkansas. It says, we are a grassroots group of over 5,000 liberty-minded individuals, which began as a result of the unconstitutional shutdowns in March 2020. We advocate for a return to 100% pre-2020 normalcy, bodily and medical autonomy and privacy for all Arkansans, and individual liberty as guaranteed by our nation's founding documents. I just want to say thank you to Scott Gray and the people at Reopen Arkansas for that ringing endorsement. I really appreciate that. I'm humbled. I'm honored. And I look forward to more endorsements. We're for real. We are for real. All right, now, let me get to the bullet points that will be on electdocwashburn.com. And, and look, we're, we're going to get to some, some regular podcast stuff, but our country and our state are in the fight for our life. And so I need to share some stuff with you all. Bullet points that will be on electdocwashburn.com today. First of all, Doc will fight to stop liberal domination of our public schools and universities. Doc will fight for real tax reform. Let's stop the bait-and-switch tax policies of the last eight years. Doc is committed to a complete conservative makeover of all state agencies. We believe in individual liberty and freedom. It's about time our state government reflects our values. Doc is committed to real school choice for all parents and students, not just enough to keep education, special interests happy. Doc is committed to making Arkansas a genuine open carry state and ending the confusion over our gun rights once and for all. Doc is committed to making Arkansas a real pro-life state. Doc is committed to a parole and correction policy that focuses on keeping violent criminals incarcerated and immediately reincarcerating parole absconders of violent crimes. Doc is committed to the complete overhaul of our child services divisions to ensure good parents' rights aren't violated and children are protected from threatening environments 
and overzealous child services. Doc will focus on the true role of government by ensuring the integrity of our levees, bridges, and other infrastructure instead of mask and vaccine mandates. Doc will fight for transparency in medical billing so the patient can shop for the best value in medical treatment. Doc will fight for pension fund stabilization by bringing transparency regarding the true financial health of all state-funded public pensions and making them solvent. Last but not least, our veterans are not being taken care of the way they should be. They deserve so much better. Doc will roll out a specific plan for how to improve the quality of life for our veterans and their families. You know what? Late last night, it occurred to me I'd left something very important out that I had to add. So I emailed late last night. Doc will fire the director of the Arkansas Department of Health and the Arkansas Surgeon General and replace them with competent medical professionals who will encourage Arkansas hospitals and doctors to actually treat people who catch COVID-19. Now, do you all remember some months back when Governor Hutchinson did a COVID-19 town hall in Silom Springs, Arkansas, and people were yelling at him, furious, because they had loved ones who went to the hospital, and the hospitals refused to treat them for COVID-19? No therapeutics? And Asa said, well, now, of course they give therapeutics to the hospital. Isn't that right? Turning to a hospital administrator standing there with him who said, not presently, sir. Okay, I'm sick and tired of Arkansas hospitals killing people by refusing the treatment. Now, is Sarah saying anything about that? Feel free to ask her. Good luck getting an answer. But she's on Facebook, and I guess anybody can comment. There's certain things that Sarah just is not going to be able to bring herself to say. Like it's time for the hospitals to stop killing COVID patients. Like I believe the election was stolen. Like I disagree with my good friend, U.S. Representative French Hill, that Donald Trump's rhetoric leading up to January 6th had nothing to do with any violence. She's not going to be able to bring herself to say these things. I'm just telling you. You know, for everybody who's called my uh, local radio talk show in Little Rock and said, look, um, and said, look, I wasn't too crazy about Governor Mike Huckabee. He wasn't conservative enough for me. But I'm really excited for Sarah to be governor because she worked for Trump. How's that working out for you? She's endorsing people who are definitely anti-Trump. Both Bozeman and French Hill. 
I mean, Bozeman said that Trump was at least partially responsible for the violence at the Capitol on January 6th. French Hill said uh, Trump's rhetoric leading up January 6th is unforgivable, and the idea that the some kind of landslide election was stolen is a fiction and a fallacy. Does Sarah agree or disagree? She's not ever going to be able to make a statement on that. And she's, and she's surely not going to admit that Arkansas hospitals have been killing people by refusing them treatment for COVID-19. It's not going to happen. I'm the candidate for governor who's going to tell you the truth. And I'm excited to be in the race. And as the days and weeks go on, we will share with you uh, different events that I'm going to be speaking at. We have been overwhelmed by the financial contributions. And we thank each and every one of you. Again, if you haven't been to the website yet, electdocwashburn.com. Sometime today, the bullet points I just share with you should be up there. And a button for you to contribute directly to the campaign. The P.O. box is already on there. And we, we appreciate the, the response that we've been getting so much. Um, a week and a half ago, I had no idea I was going to be running for office. No idea. This whole thing has come together basically since my phone started ringing a, a week ago Sunday. I mean, when Sarah endorsed people who are anti-Trump, even though she was Trump's press secretary, I mean, that's that just tore it for some people. Doc, we we got to have a we got to have a choice here. We got to have a choice. You know, we can't ever vote for a Democrat, but she can't be the only Republican in the race. So I was asked, "Are you getting in the race just to, um, you know, help her?" run a better campaign because competition makes you better and all that? Or do you actually want to win? I'm like, I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to win it. She is failing woefully on dealing with issues that matter to the people of the state of Arkansas, and I plan to address all the issues that matter to the state. All right. That having been said, we're so thankful that we have advertisers. We're so thankful for our sponsors who make it possible for me to do the Doc Washburn Show live stream slash podcast live at 11 a.m. Central every day. So let me say a word for my friends at Red River Your Way. If you tried to buy a car recently, you realize 
there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live because they can't find anything close to where they live that's exactly what they want. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are, anywhere in the continental United States of America. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still right here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You'll be glad you did. All right, we talk a lot about government overreach on the Doc Washburn Show. And one of the worst government overreaches was Obamacare. You all remember 2009 when Nancy Pelosi said, well, uh, you're just going to have to pass it so you can find out what's in it. Okay, so here's the question. Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answered yes to any of those questions, there's a website you need to go to, My Family Health Plan. Dot com Big, bold letters. Affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums. Personalized health coverage. Low to no deductible. No copays. And then that beautiful big red button. Schedule call now. You click the button. You book a free consultation with my friend Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage. And he also makes sure your personalized health coverage doesn't force you to cover Horrible things like abortion that would violate your deeply held religious beliefs, like some of those Obamacare plans do. Again, it's called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. Affordable plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums. Personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Click the button that says Schedule Call Now and book your free consultation with Art Wilborn, who will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. All right. Fantastic. 
Now, some stuff I need to share with you. The great Julie Kelly. New article dropped last night at American Greatness. Entitled, The January 6th Pipe Bombs Look Like Another FBI Hoax. Subtitle, No One Still Trying to Convince the Public that two pipe bombs were planted near the Capitol in advance of January 6th can be believed. Wow. Were you aware of this? All right, here goes. She says, in the 15-minute time span before the joint session of Congress convened at 1 p.m. on January 6, 2021, two incidents that set the stage for the day's ensuing chaos, happened simultaneously. First, a man named Ryan Samsell, after taking some sort of direction from Ray Epps, overran a thin line of police and metal racks in what would be the first official breach of Capitol grounds around 12.50 p.m. Samsell was charged and has been incarcerated for more than a year, but Ray Epps faces no charges. Joining Sam Cell were members of the Proud Boys and a still unknown mem- unknown number of FBI informants. Around the same time, a woman named Carlin Younger, who just happened to be walking to a laundry facility near the Republican National Committee headquarters, just happened to look down and see what she believed was a pipe bomb nestled between a dumpster and a fence right next to the building. Both events fueled panic in the nation's capital just as a contentious meeting to certify the Electoral College vote in the 2020 presidential election got underway in the chamber of the U.S. House of Representatives. Then the news got worse. Capitol Police reportedly discovered another explosive outside the DNC headquarters. The New York Times immediately broke the story. Quote, The device that was found at the RNC was a pipe bomb that was successfully destroyed by a bomb squad According to an official for the RNC, the package at the DNC has yet to be identified, according to a top Democrat briefed on the matter, who is not authorized to speak publicly about it, unquote. That was the New York Times story that was broken immediately by reporters Maggie Haberman, Michael Schmidt, and Katie Benner. Wow, three reporters... They took three reporters on that story, which they broke immediately. Well, the New York Times story went viral at 1.53 p.m. U.S. Representative Elaine Luria tweeted that she, quote, just had to evacuate my office because of a bomb reported outside while the president's anarchists are trying to force their way into the Capitol, unquote. Capitol Police the next day issued a statement. Stephen Sund, the Capitol Police Chief, wrote on January 7th, the day he resigned from the force, quote, 
The U.S. Capitol Police Hazardous Materials Response Team determined that both devices were in fact hazardous and could cause great harm to public safety. The devices were disabled and turned over to the FBI for further investigation and analysis, unquote. During a press conference a few days later, Michael Sherwin, the acting U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, told reporters that law enforcement agencies, including the ATF and the FBI, were collaborating to find the suspects who set the pipe bombs. Stephen D'Antuono, the newly appointed head of the D.C. FBI field office, who warned that every rock was being unturned, probably should be overturned, to apprehend the suspect or suspects, said that the bombers would be brought to justice. The FBI initially offered a $50,000 reward. But as the FBI successfully rounded up hundreds of capital trespassers using sophisticated tools such as geofence warrants, the trail of the pipe bomber went cold. Grainy footage released by the FBI purportedly showed the pipe bomber in action the night of January 5th, the time the agency determined the bombs had been planted. And in March, Stephen D'Antuono, the newly appointed head of the D.C. FBI field office, asked for the public's assistance in tracking down the bomber. Anyone who showed an interest in making explosives prior to January 5th, 2021, or possessed galvanized pipe, wire, and multiple kitchen timers should be turned into the FBI. That's what D'Antuono said in a dramatic video message, even if the person was a relative or a friend. But more than a year later, not only has a suspect not been identified or caught, the pipe bomb story gets weirder and weirder. What? What? Politico recently reported that Kamala Harris was inside the DNC headquarters at the time the explosive sat outside the building. Harris, who inexplicably left the Capitol around 11.30 a.m. on January 6th, after attending an intelligence briefing, choosing not to participate as a U.S. senator in the certification of her own historical election, was evacuated out of the DNC headquarters by the Secret Service at 1.14 p.m., several minutes after Capitol Police inspected the building after the RNC bomb was found. The shocking revelation means one of two things. The Secret Service in a security sweep of the DNC building and exterior grounds prior to her arrival missed what the FBI insists was a viable explosive device, a scenario that seems deeply unlikely considering the city was in a state of heightened alert and agents presumably would be extra cautious. So either that happened or the FBI's lying. Now, given what we... Look, the Secret Service is not going to miss a pipe bomb in plain view in front of a building 
where the woman who is about to become vice president is going to be. They're not going to miss that. So clearly, obviously, the FBI is lying. But I digress. Given what we know about the FBI's politically motivated malfeasance during the Trump era, the likelihood the pipe bomb story was another FBI hoax instead of a legitimate threat becomes more conceivable each day. Which leads us to the woman who said she found the pipe bombs outside the RNC just before the joint session gaveled in on January 6th. Carlin Younger is described in news reports as a resident of Washington, D.C., or as an employee of the Department of Commerce. But Carlin Younger's resume is a little bit more detailed than that. On January 6th, when she took a midway uh, a midday walk to the laundromat and found the first pipe bomb, Carlin Younger was a project manager for FirstNet Authority. FirstNet Authority, a public-private partnership between AT&T and first responders to prioritize emergency communications during an attack or disaster. Oh, really? Standing board members for FirstNet include the Attorney General and Secretary of Homeland Security. Several federal agencies, including the Justice Department, use FirstNet services. And a few weeks Before January 6th, FirstNet received its largest ever commitment from a law enforcement agency, a $92 million contract for FirstNet services. Guess what law enforcement agency that was that gave them that contract? The agency was the FBI. Now, perhaps one could write off as coincidence Carlin Younger's ties to a government-connected agency. They just received a massive investment from the FBI. But in a media interview, Carlin Younger almost tipped her hand. On January 18th, 2021, Carlin Younger told a Wisconsin television station, quote, you're on that edge of, I don't want to bother anybody. I want to make sure this is real, right? You don't want to go down as a person who evacuates a city block for a hoax. But at the same time, there was enough of that gut instinct that said, this isn't a place you would put a hoax, unquote. But of course, it was exactly where someone would perpetrate a hoax. Carlin Younger has since left FirstNet and co-founded a security technology startup firm. Her work with a firm funded by the FBI deserves at least a few raised eyebrows. Wouldn't you agree? And what about Stephen D'Antuono? Several weeks before January 6th, D'Antuono was moved from the Detroit FBI field office to take over the Washington, D.C. field office. The FBI announced D'Antuono's promotion on October 13th, 2020, one week after his office arrested several men for conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The arrests made national headlines right before Election Day. Democrats from Whitmer to Joe Biden accusing Donald Trump of inciting right-wing militiamen to abduct and kill one of his political foes. But the government's case, as I've reported for months, is falling apart 
amid misconduct by at least three FBI agents and a lead informant. Defense attorneys are making a compelling argument of FBI entrapment for the agency's use of at least a dozen FBI undercover agents and informants in the plot. As head of the Detroit FBI office at the time, Dan Tuono owns the crumbling Governor Whitmer kidnapping scheme. Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, has proven that he acts only in the political interest of the Democrat Party and the Biden regime. His agency has yet to produce any investigative report about the pipe bombs or official confirmation of how the devices were detonated. This all reeks of the FBI's insistence that Russian actors hacked the DNC email system in 2016 until the FBI finally admitted investigators never seized the servers or examined their contents. So, no one still trying to convince the public that two pipe bombs were planted near the Capitol in advance of January 6th can be believed. In fact, quite to the contrary, the public should automatically distrust anything out of the FBI. So, either the Secret Service missed the device in clear view outside the DNC headquarters that day before the arrival of Kamala Harris, or there never was an explosive at either location, and the FBI is not telling the truth. Again. The safe bet, using recent history as a guide, is on the ladder. Now, let me, and that's the end of the article. Julie Kelly at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. The January 6th pipe bombs look like another FBI hoax. That's the title of the article. Now, let me just say something. In a sane world, she would get a Pulitzer for this. No question. Hands down. Slam dunk. Whatever whatever cliche you want to use. In a sane world, Pulitzer, Pulitzer, Pulitzer. But, This is the United States of America under the Dementia Joe regime. And the mainstream media will ignore this. But she's got them. She's got the FBI dead to rights. Dead to rights. There's no way around it. No way around it. This is... uh, This is remarkable reporting by Julie Kelly. And I'm honored to have had her on my show before. And we'll try to get her back on soon. Because she's got a new book out. And it's a book that I think you're going to want to hear about. All right, let me grab just a little bit of H2O here. All right. Now, that having been said, 
I got a little something here I got to share with you. Uh, Jackie Taylor, independent journalist over in the UK. That's quite the thread here on uh, Twitter. From middle of the night this morning. FDA document admits COVID PCR test was developed without isolated samples for test calibration, effectively admitting it's testing something else. Now, I got in trouble. I was called on the carpet. When I was doing my local radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas, for suggesting that PCR tests don't work to determine if you got COVID-19. And the reason I was saying that was because the guy who developed the PCR technique, Dr. Kerry Mullis, said it's not a test to figure out if you have a virus or if you're sick or something. And I get I get remonstrated by Cumulus Media man, Management for having the gall to say that. But now, now, here we go. FDA document admits COVID PCR test was developed without isolated samples for test calibration, effectively admitting it's testing something else. A document just released by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration openly admits that the infamous PCR test for the Wuhan coronavirus, COVID-19, was developed without, pardon me, was developed not with actual samples, but rather with what appears to be genetic material from a common cold virus. In the FDA document, it is stated that ordinary seasonal flu genetic material was used as a testing marker in the PCR test kits because the authorities knew that many people would test positive for it, thus allowing them to use these results to create the COVID narrative. Oh, okay. To shut us all down, to throw us out of work. Okay. It is somewhat of a lengthy read, but have a look for yourself and see. The deception is in plain sight. There is no legitimate test out there that accurately identifies the presence of SARS-CoV-2. From the document, quoting now, since no quantified virus isolates of the 2019 NCoV-2 were available for CDC use at the time, the test was developed and this study conducted with assays designed for detection of the 2019 NCoV-2. RNA was tested with stocks of in vitro transcribed full-length RNA. Of, pardon me, it has a parentheses, N-Gene, GenBank Association, and then a long number. Of known titer RNA copies spiked into a, a, a diluent consisting of a suspension of human AF49 cells and viral transport medium, VTM, to mimic clinical specimen. Another revelation, and that's for all of you medical specialists out there who actually understand what that just said. Another revelation in the document is the admission by the FDA. The test results are pooled together to produce numbers that are inaccurate. The FDA is quite literally manufacturing data 
to support a false narrative. We are now at a crossroads worldwide. The time is upon us to decide if we are going to allow this type of medical fascism to persist and impact upon the future of our children, or if we are finally going to say no to tyrannical government policy. And then she's got the link where you can download the document from the FDA. Wow. That's just dumb. That's just painful. They've been lying the whole time. Can I just say it that way? Yeah. They've been lying the whole time. And uh, some of us lost their jobs over it. But I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm thankful. The Lord closed one door, he opened another. And now he's yet opening another as I'm running for governor. But the FDA admits it lied about the COVID PCR test. How many lives were unalterably changed because of our government and medical establishment lying to us? I just found out last week that the head of the uh, Arkansas Department of Health and the chief epidemiologist gave testimony under oath the Arkansas State Legislature last week. You remember a couple of weeks ago I told you about this Johns Hopkins study that said basically mask mandates are pointless and masks don't work? So the director of the Arkansas Department of Health, Dr. Romero, and the chief epidemiologist, Jennifer Dillahay, had to admit under oath that, yeah, Johns Hopkins study, yeah, masks don't work. We were wrong. Been torturing five-year-olds for how long? I wonder if the word got back to the governor of Arkansas. Aza, I love masking five-year-old Hutchinson. They accomplished what they wanted. And by they, I'm talking about people like Fauci and Burks. They wanted Trump out of the White House. So they blow, blow this whole thing out of proportion, and some states are like, hey, we're going to do universal mail-in balloting and have ballot drop-off boxes that aren't monitored. And they stole it. They stole it. Or as a great Molly Hemingway over the Federalist says, her book, you know, rigged. They rigged it. I don't know if anybody else is sharing this information with you because I don't really have time to listen to anybody else because I'm always doing show prep to try to get this thing done. Um, 
But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay, somebody says, Doc, I need the link to the article you read. I got in on the end of the COVID test info you read. Let me see if I can just... um, Let me just see. That's somebody on the Podbean app. Uh, let me see if I can just type this in. Okay. It is a thread on Twitter. Here is the first tweet. And copy and paste and put it in, and, and, and maybe that'll... Maybe that'll do it. Hope that helps. Somebody else said, uh, Doc, I was banned from Facebook, or fascist book, for five months. Why they let me back on is a mystery. Uh, For posting a picture that was sent to me January 3rd, oh, January 5th, January 5th, of many propane tanks that were roped together in different areas of D.C. Some of the patriots that were there thought it suspicious and took pictures. I believe these were planted and to be used, but when the plan succeeded at the Capitol, that was enough, especially with the shooting and killing of Ashley Babbitt. These leftists are wicked and of the satanic order. Well, they're certainly not serving the Lord, that's for sure. All right, um... We're so thankful. We're so thankful for our sponsors because they allow us to do what we do. So let me just say this real quick. I want to say a word from my friend Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton. Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer. He founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he sure helped me out when I was in two automobile accidents in 2019. And he's now helping me with the one where I got rear-ended December 17th of 2021 on Colonel Glen Road in in Little Rock. I'm so thankful I got rear-ended by a little compact car from Kia instead of a Chevy Suburban. I probably wouldn't still be here. Guy was doing like 45 miles an hour. Just boom, didn't even tap the brakes. Anyway, the Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year. And the 2016 Outstanding Young Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, It's a good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who have been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin meant to make sure the mental law firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt on the job, or you or a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. So if you're in Arkansas, and this is the kind of legal help you need, just call the Minton Law Firm at 501-943-4195 or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. All right, now, 
it was so nice to see all the folks yesterday afternoon at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center in Searcy, Arkansas. Everybody was so nice. Y'all, I, I never even saw Arkansas before they flew me in here in 2014 to offer me a job, and you guys have taken me in to be one of your own, to be an official Razorback, as it were. So I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. So check this out. Do you have migraines? Do you have neck pain? Do you have back pain, vertigo? Do you have problems with your blood sugar? Okay, now look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Do you tilt your head to one side or the other? Okay, that's not normal. If the answer to any of these is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines and neck pain. Let me tell you how it works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, or the C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, your circulatory system, your reproductive system, your digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar even. Do yourself a favor. If you're in central Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. They'll take the x-rays. They'll show you if you need to get your atlas adjusted. If you're outside central Arkansas and you're saying, man, this sounds like something I need to look into, but I'm nowhere near central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says find a doctor near you to see if you can find a doctor near you that will adjust your atlas. All right, very good. You know, one of the fellows I talked to yesterday at the Arkansas Cervical Center said, you know, one of the things that Bill Clinton did that haunts us to this day in Arkansas is he established the sales tax on used cars. Now, if the car has been already taxed as a new car, why do you have to keep on taxing it every time somebody sells it again? He says, this makes it really hard on working people. Doc, if you get elected governor, can you please try to get rid of that tax on used cars? I mean, I get it. The new car is going to be taxed. But why several years later and 80,000 miles later does it have to be taxed again? You know, a lot of us are on a budget. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. So, yeah, y'all elect me governor, and that's one of the things I'm going to try to get the legislature to do. And, and see, here's the thing. Here's the difference between having a rhino governor 
like Aza Hutchinson, who, by the way, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says he's just been doing a great job. The difference between having a rhino governor like Aza Hutchinson and a conservative governor like me is when the conservatives in the state legislature try to do something good for you, I'm not going to try to stop it like Aza does. So just file that away. Just uh, just keep that uh, keep that in mind. Now I need to share something with you from the great Margot Cleveland. Margot Cleveland is a senior contributor to the Federalist. Also written a, a bunch of other places. She's a lawyer, graduate of Notre Dame Law School where she earned the Hoynes Prize, Notre Dame Law School's highest honor, later served for nearly 25 years as a permanent law clerk for a federal appellate judge on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. She's the real deal. She's the real deal. So she's got an article here at The Federalist entitled, What We Learned from Michael Sussman's Response to the Spygate Special Counsel. Subtitle, the media has finally began, has finally begun covering the special counsel's investigation and indictment against former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman, and he is none too happy. Well, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Know what I'm saying, Holmes? Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And the article begins. Late yesterday, Michael Sussman filed a response to John Durham's Friday court filing that set off a media buzz over the criminal case against the former Hillary Clinton campaign attorney. In the six-page memo filed in the D.C. federal court, Sussman's attorneys at Latham and Watkins informed the court they had previously advised the special counsel that Sussman understood his right to consult with independent counsel and intended to waive any potential conflicts of interest. Sussman's filing added that he does not oppose Durham's request that he waive those issues on the record. Sussman then spent the next five pages complaining about the special counsel's filing. He claimed it unnecessarily includes prejudicial and false allegations that are irrelevant to his motion into the charged offense. Those extra details, Sussman argued, were plainly intended to politicize this case, inflame media cover, and taint the jury pool. In other words, the media has finally begun covering the special counsel's investigation and the indictment against Hillary's former attorney, Michael Sussman, and he is none too happy. Sussman proceeded next to claim that the special counsel's motion succeeded in instigating unfair and prejudicial media coverage of Mr. Sussman's case. Well, without detailing how the coverage was unfair, the motion cited online articles at Fox News, the New York Post, the Washington Examiner, Breitbart, and the Daily Mail. Omitted was a detailed coverage from the Federalist.com, clearly a grudging admission of this outlet's detailed and accurate analysis. 
Worse still, in Sussman's estimation, was the fact that Mr. Trump seized upon the special counsel's filing to call the scandal far greater in scope and magnitude than Watergate. Representative Jim Jordan soon endorsed Mr. Trump's position. Sussman also complained. Now, yesterday's motion then revisited the special counsel's decision to file a 27-page indictment for a single count, false statement case, as well as Durham's filing of a discovery update. In the discovery update, Hillary's former attorney, Michael Sussman, charged John Durham, went out of his way to include uncharged and inflammatory allegations, including what Sussman called the gratuitous claim that his office had an active, ongoing criminal investigation of the defendant's conduct and other matters. Now, given the special counsel, John Durham had alerted Sussman in the discovery update that his conduct remains under investigation by the special counsel's office, it was rather foolhardy for the former Hillary Clinton attorney to complain that the indictment, quote, reads as though there was a vast conspiracy involving the Clinton campaign and Mr. Sussman, unquote, while not charging a conspiracy. Be careful, or you might just get what you ask for, as they say. Ah! Oh, man! That's just great! That's just great! Are you complaining they haven't charged with some kind of conspiracy yet? Well, hang on, hang on, we'll get to it. <laughs> After highlighting these complaints, Sussman asked the court to strike the special counsel's factual background portion of its motion, which, if granted, merely means the court would treat it as if those sections of the motion were not filed with the court. Sussman, however, is likely hoping his motion to strike prompts the judge to caution the special counsel's office to limit any extraneous details of future filings. The court may well do that. Sussman may soon regret his strategy in filing this motion for several reasons. First, it provides Durham an opportunity to respond both to Sussman's complaints that the details are extraneous and to respond to the counterpoints Sussman included in his motion. Second, Sussman's filing will prompt even more coverage of John Durham's various filings, whereas if he had said nothing, the complicit media would have likely dropped coverage of the case after a day or two. Third, John Durham's filings provided Attorney Sussman a heads-up on the, on the special counsel's strategy, likely intentionally so, with the hope that Sussman may decide to cooperate. But even if Sussman opts to continue fighting the charges, he's better off knowing what Durham has in store for him. That Sussman opted to file the motion to strike, even with the above negatives cautioning against such an approach, suggests the coverage, even when coming from mainly conservative-leaning outlets, is starting to break through the media blackout and is preventing him from controlling the narrative. So in his filing, in addition to seeking to strike the special counsel's factual background, Sussman attempts to refute it. For instance, Sussman claims that while the special counsel's office implied he had provided the CIA data related to 
domain name system lookups in the executive office of the president from after Donald Trump taking office. Sussman maintains that the data only pertained to the, to the period when Barack Obama was president. That's a strange argument, though, given that the data was intended to show connections between Trump and his affiliates and the supposedly rare Russian cell phones. Likely, then, the data concerned the transition period, which is consistent with the concerns the special counsel's office detailed in its motion. The more significant revelations from the filing, however, concerned the charged offense, namely that Sussman lied to the FBI's James Baker when he told Baker on September 19th 2016, that he was not representing any client in bringing to the government's attention the data and analysis supposedly showing Trump had a secret communication channel with the Russian Alpha Bank. Sussman's motion maintained the special counsel persists in alleging Mr. Sussman billed the Clinton campaign for his meeting with the FBI in September 2016 when that is false. Sussman further claimed in his motion that a full-time employee of the Clinton campaign told the special counsel that when Sussman met with Baker on September 19, 2016, he was not acting on behalf of the campaign. That latter detail proves fascinating for two reasons. First, a careful reading of the lawyerly wordsmithing suggests a different Clinton campaign representative indicated that Sussman had, in fact, met with Baker on behalf of the campaign. Quote, well, let me do it this way. The motion read, quoting now, it was not until November 2021, two months after Mr. Sussman was indicted, that the special counsel bothered to interview any individual who worked full-time for the campaign to determine if Sussman had met with the FBI on behalf of the Clinton campaign. But why specify full-time in this assertion? Any individual who worked full-time for the campaign. The most likely answer is that someone else connected to the Clinton campaign confirmed the special counsel's charge that Sussman did indeed meet with Baker on behalf of the Clinton campaign. On the other hand, if the campaign completely denies Sussman was acting on his behalf in meeting with Baker of the FBI, that will make for a much more interesting trial with the Hillary Clinton campaign representatives subject to cross-examination by John Durham's team concerning exactly what authority Sussman had and when he needed approval from above and exactly what Sussman was authorized by the campaign to do. Now that Sussman has made it an issue, we may get some clarity from Durham's office on what the Hillary Clinton campaign is claiming concerning the September 19, 2016 meeting when it responds to Monday's filing. So, st- so stay, stay, stay tuned. I'm sorry, I'm getting all choked up here. So stay tuned. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Stay tuned. Oh, okay. So somebody said, somebody said, 
Hey, Doc, what's your website for governor? I want to contribute. Thank you. Somebody else says, same here. I want to know where I can contribute to. Yeah, let me type that in. And thank you so much. It's electdocwashburn.com. And the P.O. Box is already on the website, but a button for direct contributions. Oh, wait a minute. A button for direct contributions should be on the website sometime sometime today. So we got the P.O. Box on there if you want to send checks, but if you want to uh, contribute directly online, then that will be on there sometime today, God willing. Uh, let's see. Um, we have another question here on the uh, the Podbean app. It says, Doc asked Sarah, asked Sarah a while back if she was going to be like her dad. Oh, oh, you, you asked. Okay. Doc, I asked Sarah a while back if she was going to be like her dad. No response. Asked about John Bozeman and French Hill. No response. No one would know who she is if it hadn't been for Trump. It's fine if she doesn't agree with Trump on everything, but have a backbone and say so. Don't run from those who you want to elect you. Asia is in bed with China, and Sarah should know this. Well, I don't know what she knows. I mean, she should. I agree. She should. I agree. But I don't... uh, I don't know what she knows. That's a good question. What does she know? Because she sure won't talk about anything. You know, uh, members of her team are finally answering questions on the Facebook page about masks and vaccines. But to do that, they have to go back to last July an appearance on Fox News or an article on thehill.com. If you ask her about masks and vaccines, if you run into her publicly, oh, I, she won't answer anything. Well, why not? If you have a public stand that you're against mask mandates, against vaccine mandates, because you said so on Fox News last July when nobody in Arkansas saw it, or, or, or you did you did a tweet, and most people in Arkansas aren't on Twitter. Then why can't you just repeat that when somebody runs into you at a campaign appearance? Well, look, I, I said last summer I was against mask mandates, against vaccine mandates, because people sure haven't heard you talk about that in Arkansas, as you claim that our current governor has done such a great job. You know, Asa, who wants four and five year olds to wear masks. Come on, Sarah, give us a break. Give us a break. All right, I love this part of the show. I love this part of the show. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And Tweet of the Day is brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. 
Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom for you to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Tweet of the day from somebody who calls himself Rebel Fan. I got to follow this guy. And there's a picture of a guy named Rod Serling. Now, if you're under 50, you're probably like, who's Rod Serling? Well, there was a show called The Twilight Zone back in the 60s, and Rod Serling was the host. And so this picture of Rod Serling on this tweet of the day here says, imagine a vaccine so safe you have to be threatened to take it. For a disease so deadly, you have to be tested to even know if you have it. You, my friend, are in the twilight zone. I added that last part. Anyway, that's just that's just phenomenal. That is just phenomenal. And thank you to RedRiverYourWay.com for sponsoring the tweet of the day. All right, the great John Hayward over at Breitbart once again has a soliloquy that I figured I should share with you. This is the thread he has on Twitter. He says, authoritarianism is the hottest political product in the world right now. Western elites believe their governments must become more dictatorial in order to compete with technocratic despotisms like China. Public submission is the most desired commodity. Perpetual states of emergency have rejected, pardon me, perpetual states of emergency have replaced perpetual states of war as the preferred vehicle for increasing authoritarian power. In the old days, statists fought the hot ticket, was using the language of military conflict to push social policy. So they would use terms like the war on poverty. Until recently, we were always at war with various ills in society. We were told to view ourselves as conscripts into these social wars, and politicians as our generals. They're always vowing to fight, fight, fight against social ills and shadowy conspiracies. This impulse probably began as a desire to recreate the tremendous energy and unity of the World War II effort, but diverted into social causes and the expansion of the state. If we could win an all-out war against the Nazis... Why not declare all-out war against social ills? But now, it's clear the permanent state of emergency is more politically profitable than forever war. People do expect war to end in victory, after all, and they grow less enthusiastic if the war grinds on forever. A good emergency can be kept rolling indefinitely. Emergencies also encourage a more submissive mindset, which is essential 
for political power to grow. Obedience, easy for you to say, right? Obedience is the necessary fuel for power. Giving orders to giving orders is comical unless people obey them. Submission nourishes obedience. There has also been a cultural shift over the past few generations that makes the perpetual emergency mindset an earlier pardon me, I guess I need new glasses. There's also been a cultural shift over the past few generations that makes the perpetual emergency mindset an easier sell than perpetual war. Recruiting victims is much easier than enlisting soldiers. But one way or the other, most Western political elites are devoted to making their populations more obedient and walling off greater stores of power so the public cannot tamper with it. A growing number of issues are settled, so-called, and are no longer up for discussion. These elites see themselves as defenders of true freedom, not aspiring tyrants. They just believe a much larger portion of centralized power must be firewalled against public interference or disobedience, for their own good, of course, and just to cope with so-called emergencies. The growing elite consensus is that democracy is too messy, too unruly, and too disobedient. People are prone to consuming misinformation and turning against their wise rulers. They can thwart the noble efforts of visionary politicians by voting them out of office. It's absurd. The gentle meadow of freedom must be made smaller and surrounded by higher fences that can only be built with authoritarian power. Within those fences, you'll be free enough. Only great leaders with humble people can master the challenges of the future. The pandemic greatly increased the free world's appetite for controlled authoritarianism, a nuclear political fuel that must be handled carefully, but which is vital for reaching the technocratic future. The people can no longer be trusted to define the limits of power. That's John Hayward over to Breitbart, and that, I tell you, that is the way that the elites look at things. Oh, and by the way, the great David Limbaugh, brother of the late, great Rush Limbaugh, He said out there on Twitter, look, the media is talking about Hillary Clinton's campaign spying on Donald Trump. It's worse than that. They tried to frame him. Thank you, Brother David Limbaugh. Now, Benny Johnson. Benny Johnson, who has his own podcast out there, much bigger than mine has a link on Twitter to a short video of Pierre Trudeau from just a few years ago. And Benny Johnson says, when somebody tells you who he is, believe him. Okay? And here's Justin. uh, I said Pierre. Sorry. 
his son, Justin. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's not his son. Fidel Castro's son, Justin Trudeau, now Prime Minister of Canada. Even with Sun TV watching for any slip, he was asked which country he most admired and referred to China. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start you know, investing in solar. I mean, there is a flexibility that I know Stephen Harper must dream about of having a dictatorship that he could do everything he wanted. Uh, that I find quite interesting. What an idiot. China's not going green. One of the most polluted countries in the world. Yeah, he likes the idea of dictatorship. Which is why that's what he's trying to do right now with the truckers. How about that? So uh, somebody said on the Podbean app here, will we be able to contribute via electronic means soon? I noticed that the check is the only option at this time. Uh, Yes, sir, the... uh, the website should be live with the uh, with the button to contribute electronically uh, before close of business today. So we appreciate your patience. <laughs> we we're not intentionally slow walking, allowing you to contribute financially to our campaign. It's just been um, like drinking water from a fire hose for the last week or so. And and I, I appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all so much. And um, we're thankful for the for this opportunity. We really are. I never ever thought I would run for office, and so I'm thankful for this opportunity and the overwhelming response that we've gotten already. And we look forward to much more when electdocwashburn.com goes live sometime today. Giving the giving you the opportunity to just just go ahead and and contribute online. That'll be great. Appreciate y'all. You've been listening to the 88th episode of the all new Doc Washburn Show. None of our advertisers have officially endorsed my candidacy for governor yet. That's fine. We love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. That's the way it is. Tuesday, February 15th, 2022.